remember the the uh, commercial from the nineties? Oh yeah, the, with the owl. I think they had like amazing commercials actually to market their products. It was the the one that the owl is the one that always stands out to me. Um, how many licks does it take to get to the center of Tootsie Pop? Yeah, but they had a bunch. They had a bunch with that tagline mm-hmm. theme. You know, I was like, mm, I don't know how many. It keeps your mind engaged and like thinking about it. You know. You know, I wonder like. So they invented Tootsie Roll. Which I like Tootsie Rolls actually. I always have, even the big ones. You know, like the big square mm-hmm. ones. And then they were like, well, I guess we're not selling enough Tootsie Pops. So we should put them on a stick and coat them in candy (laughs) and see what happens. But then, you know, I guess the other thing is, like, I don't watch TV with commercials anymore. I haven't in a really long time. Because we don't have kids, I definitely don't watch anything for kids. So, like, what's what's the advertising like right now Mm -hmm. for candy? Like, are they still, surely they're still advertising candy. But I literally have no idea. I would imagine that's changed quite a bit, given, like, the nature of streaming and stuff now. Even for little kids, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because I will always pay extra to not have to watch commercials. Mm-hmm. I hate commercials now. Like it yeah, burn it boils my blood when a commercial comes on the TV or computer, whatever it is. Well, especially because now we know what it's like. Yeah, like in a prolonged time now. I mean, a decade at least. <clears throat> I don't really watch TV with commercials. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anytime and of course, internet commercials now are the worst because it's mm. the same commercial. Mm-hmm. Oh man, which I just don't understand. Like. <clears throat> Is the ad buy not as good? Like, why are there not 50 different commercials mm-hmm. showing up here? Because even if it's a targeted ad, like to me, I've seen it like six times now. I don't need to keep seeing it. Like, it's probably best to get, I don't know, another vendor who wants to sell me, you know, some but crap. A lot of the research on advertising shows up with, like, people are not going to buy something until they see, see it, like, 15 times or whatever. So a lot of it's geared around, I'm sure making you see it that number of times quicker mm. but then what happens is everyone over time gets fatigue from uh exposure like in general so like it takes long like more exposures for everything before you want to buy it also like i mean i guess it depends on how targeted it is but if i have to watch a commercial over and over again i might start to hate your product mm-hmm Like, even if the commercial was good, like, it's funny, it's engaging, but I had to watch it every six minutes on this three-part YouTube series. It's the same exact commercial and over and over again. Like, I'm never going to buy your smart water. Mm -hmm. Never. In fact, I'm going to see it. I'm going to have, like, a horrific PTSD response to this commercial scenario. And I just, I'll tell people not to buy it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm the exception, though. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I fucking hate that. Yeah, I don't know what the research says about all that stuff. Well, it's also really interesting because, like, Marcy and I's TV habits for the last decade do not feature in any of that research. Mm. And so, like, how many people are like us? 
Like, there are no Nielsen ratings, right. in my opinion, on TV for the last decade. Right. All I guess you can see is, like, what subscriptions did we pay for? Mm -hmm. And within those subscriptions, what did we watch? Mm -hmm. So certainly there's a lot of data based on what we've watched. But almost no data based on advertising. Because I literally pay for all the services that don't have advertising. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is why they're getting it now from phones and Google searching and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Well, and Netflix is, um, <clears throat> I don't think they've launched it yet, but they're talking about a tier, like a cheaper tier that has ads. Because they never had... All of them are doing that now. Well, a, a lot of them started that way. Mm -hmm. It's like Hulu started that way. Mm -hmm. But Netflix was always like a, we're a no ads, you know, company. HBO now. You can, a you can cheaper, do a no way. Cheap, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right. Could you imagine watching like The Sopranos with ads? Fuck me. No. I could not. Especially because those shows were never designed to have ads, so the cuts are going to be really awkward. Mm-hmm. It's like you're in this really intense emotional scene in The Sopranos or The Wire, then it cuts to like. Beach Bahama vacation. Mm -hmm. Get your cruise ship fees at half price. You're like, fuck. Mm -hmm. Talk about ruining an experience. Ugh. God, capitalism's the worst. Right. Just the worst. No, I'm kind of mad about communists. Insofar as, like, they fucked that up, too. <laughs> right? Like, you had this, you had this idea that, like, Workers should be celebrated, and, like, wealth should be constrained. And all of this political movement, to the point that, like, you know, like, some huge number of billions of people on the planet live under communist regimes. And there were wars, and blood, and death. And for what? A bunch of garbage. Like, you guys yeah. just you guys just invented another garbage system. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. And you had so much buy-in... People mm -hmm. were like really behind you. Mm -hmm. How like I can't think of the last time in modern history where you had that kind of force, you know. And what we get with it, uh, China's surveillance state and um, collective ownership of property that's exploited by rich people at the top. I mean, it's garbage. Yeah, complete garbage. Which is always an argument by like the socialist sort of position is that it's never actually been done right yeah. in the way that it would operate ideally but that in its in and of itself presents its own problem if you can't if you can't actually realize an idea what good is it exactly you know it is it's literally not very just pragmatic theory, right like it doesn't have any point it seems kind of obvious in hindsight though i mean in hindsight right of course it's obvious but so everyone in our workers' paradise is going to get paid the same, <clears throat> no matter what they do. And we're all going to have the same clothes and the same houses because, like, we don't want anybody to feel, you know, oppressed or whatever. Like, who really thought that was going to work? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, and that's not exactly what Marx wrote. No. You know what I mean? But that's kind of how it played out. And so I'm just wondering, like, I, I can't imagine that Leninists, certainly not Stalin, really thought that that was actually 
good for people. It was just a good way to have power. Mm-hmm. Which is so supremely fucked. <laughs> yep. Communist shit, so ugly. Oh, yeah. God, the buildings. Like, the was art. It, two, yeah, 2007. I think 2006 or 2007. I was in, uh, in Hungary. In mm -hmm. Budapest. Which, of course, like, Budapest, which was originally two cities, right? Buda and Pest, across the river from one another, became, you know, crowning jewel of the Austro-Hungarian Empire during that, you know, age of empires. And so most of the city is stunning in that epic European way. Just beautiful buildings and domes and churches mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And then you'll just, like, turn a corner and there'll be, like, a whole city block of, like, cement buildings. Like, just square gray cement buildings with like a like a worker statue out front holding a sickle but even the statue is like blocky it's you know they call it um brutalisk architecture mm. now which <laughs> was an accurate title yeah and it's horrible like you just think like so when you guys were building this like amidst all these gorgeous buildings where you're literally thinking to yourself like oh you know if we all just live in square cubes Everything's going to be much better. Because, you know, having an aesthetic is like a bourgeois principle, and it's bad for people. So if everyone just lives in this cube, it'll be fine. No attention to the idea that, like, humans have to have pretty shit. Right. Yeah. You know, I just had a weird thought about this. It's almost like if you were to take the avatar the last airbender world mm -hmm. it would be like earthbenders like taking everything over no earthbender stuff is still pretty well, i mean like the the shapes like the s square you know like yeah the, yeah 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 but like think of that that episode where they like invade the earth kingdom the palace yeah that's they've true. got big statues of, of badgers and like their mm -hmm. stuff is very linear for sure it's still aesthetic, though. Yeah. And they have, like, green robes and colors and stuff, you know. It's definitely more brutalist than, say, like, the air temple. Right. You know. Yeah. But, yeah, I just, I just don't get it. Yeah. And I'm angry about it. <laughs> Fucking communist. You had a shot. Turned out garbage it's too bad we can't think of more systems like we you know communism and capitalism are always just you know they're, they're like the opposites that's how they're presented mm -hmm. but then we don't really have other things to choose from we just have those two right and so if you say you're against one or you're against both you say you're against one, you're automatically for the other. And if you say you're against both, you're an anarchist or something. I don't even know. Yeah. Anarchy is like... So like um, Noam Chomsky, anarchy. Right. Technical definition of anarchy, not like, let's burn the world down anarchy. Mm -hmm. 
That's pretty solid. Mm -hmm. As a, I, I wish it. It needs better PR. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. Like, it needs way better PR. Because everybody hears anarchy and all they think is like riots mm -hmm. and like revolution and stuff. But of course, that's not that's not Chomsky's position at all. In fact, it's just we are not going to allow individual human agency <clears throat> to be um, exported, I guess you could say, or like made proxy of by larger organizations. And he usually looks at that through kind of like, a, I would argue, a kind of Marxist lens around labor in particular. Have we talked about this, about the job thing? I don't know. Okay, so here we are, it's 21st century. We've been living in a capitalistic environment for, you know, 300-ish years, right, in the West. And before that, there was definitely still like a mercantile system. But like what we think of as like companies and shit like that is really... East India Company, 1600s, colonial period. Like, Dutch, British, taking over the world, and we're going to sell shit to people in the process. So that's kind of like the real origin story, I think, of capitalism as we imagine it. Because before then, everything is run, in the West at least, like with a feudal structure. Like, mm -hmm. people grow shit, and they pay tithes to the king, and then the king protects you from getting murdered. That's it. Like, And there are merchants, and you can definitely sell stuff, but there isn't, like, business in the right. way that we think about it, right? So Chomsky points out that when people tell the story of that history, they still tell it through our lens, which is to say, like, your job was to be a farmer, right. or your job was to be a blacksmith, right? This is the thing that you occupied your time with outside of your regular life, right? That it was a separate entity from yourself, and that someone else paid you for your work right but of course like an actual analysis of that is not true right so like if you're a farmer it's not that your job is being a farmer like you are a farmer and by using our terminology you're self-employed right like you grow what you want to grow mm -hmm. you try to make enough for your family and then hopefully sell some surplus at the market so that you can, you know, buy horseshoes for your horses or whatever. So there was this, like, market component. But in a lot of small towns, there wasn't. So, like, Farmer John didn't go to market to sell his wheat to get coins to then bring to the blacksmith in order to get horseshoes. Like, right. that just isn't what happened in a lot of parts of the world. Like, gold and coinage were rare. And not for the likes of, like, Billy Nobody in the middle of this town, right? <clears throat> Sure. But we don't have any good way to talk about that as people. Everything is framed up in the way that we imagine it. So it's like, well, what's the difference between being like an accountant and being a farmer? Because like, you know, it's your job. But it wasn't. Like being the blacksmith was who you were. It shaped your whole, the wholeness of your identity. You were in a relatively small societal structure. So like when reap tide came and it was time to get the wheat out of the field, even you, the blacksmith, might have gone to help. Sure. It's not your job. Right. Because no one has jobs. But we all need to eat here. And, you know, Tom over there, he has the wheat fields. And I make the horseshoes that pull the plows. But we're all, like, in this together. Right. So I make sure that the wheat gets pulled. Because otherwise, I might not have wheat to eat. Right? So there's, like, a natural communitarian vibe. Right. And so Chomsky's whole thing is that if you were going to modernize that, today 
accountants would not be employed, like giving over the control of their time and their space and their work requirements. You would be an accountant, and you would work with other people who are also accountants, and you guys collectively would own your business. So like worker-owned space uh -huh. as opposed to employer-owned space. So that way, like if you're not working this week because it's the summer, you just tell your clients, not working this week, right? And the only reason that you work together with other accountants is for economies of scale. So like you guys don't all need to have your own building, you don't all need to have, sure, you know, whatever in the modern day like an internet subscription you know what i mean like you uh -huh. guys can share this stuff but you're just you like you're just employed yourself right and so you wouldn't even use the phrase employed really and your responsibilities to your family and to government would be self-controlled and so the anarchy bit gets a little wobbly i think for a lot of people when you start talking about like well how does the state get involved then because right. like right now we fund the government by taking money from workers right right so if you are not an employee or do you still have to pay taxes and like does the right. government have a right to take stuff from you and it starts mm -hmm. to get a little libertarian you sure. know, in its vibe he has excellent arguments and discussions for all of that actually sort of like what the responsibilities are for each layer but it's just interesting to think like there could be a different system that divorces the notion that like you need to go get a paycheck so that you can pay for your mortgage right and that that's there's a different way to do things than that but we've been in this system for so long that it's really hard to see it yeah because you're like that, wait how would you pay your electricity bill you still need money sure you know right and no, his whole I thing think... is like no nah, it's just all assumptions mm -hmm. that you need money that all makes sense to me and the problem is scale right well like, how would you even begin to transition to a system like that you couldn't like not realistically you'd have to like have a sub community that did it that did it first yeah. and then people would have to buy into that and it would have to expand in size from that heart mm -hmm. of, of mm -hmm. style and structure because you couldn't like think about all the things that you use money to pay for right now which is literally everything so in order for you to not need money anymore and instead just have like live in a system that collectively supports and nourishes itself it's impossible right now like there's no way that you being a chinese medicine practitioner because people immediately go to barter you know and they're like oh mm -hmm. what are we gonna barter an acupuncture visit for your light your electricity bill like no you're missing the fucking point like there will be no bill like the people that do acupuncture just do it and the people that make food make food and the people that have electricity make electricity and so the capitalistic argument is like well what's their motivation why would they do it that question only exists because we've been living in this capitalistic model for so right. long where the only reason that you do anything is to make money right but like there are lots of other reasons to do stuff yeah for sure self-determination sense of general pride and this is what brings us back to chinese medicine theory reciprocity hmm like, mm -hmm. the reason that we built the power plant and people work there to generate power is because we all need power, right? right? Just like we all need vegetables. So the farmer doesn't grow vegetables because he can go buy a yacht. He grows vegetables because that's his role in this societal structure. And the reason that you can't transition is because of Jeff Bezos. 
and, <laughs> and other people like him, right? right. Like a, an elite class of wealth-oriented people and the inheritance of like 600 years of, of, of Western tradition. But this is, this is interesting for me. Okay, so I'm thinking out loud. The purpose of modern living... Like, if, if we go back to a pre-modern time, like you're talking about there, and you are a farmer, or you are, are you do farming, you do blacksmithing, like it's something you do, even though it's not your job, you're not, the difference is you're not doing it really for money. You're doing it as a component of, like, a community, you're doing it because... It's you how know, you contribute. It's, it's, it's how you contribute. But you're also doing it, you know, for survival. Like there's a component of that too, and um, and the survival of your community, right? But um, I wonder if when we switch to the idea of money being the intermediary, if life feels a lot less purposeful in general. Like because then, like now, all that I do is to make money. Like the reason that I work is to make money. Right. The justifiable reason, right? That's the reason that I do it. So then the work, does that make the work less meaningful or valuable in some way? Maybe. I mean, like think this through, right? So like our parents' generation of people who watched their their parents, many, blue, many of them blue collar, without mm-hmm. upper levels of education, say they had a union job in a factory or they right. taxi driver or whatever. Early 20th century, or I guess the first third of the 20th century, those people are making money. Wages are growing in the post-war period, so our grandparents are able to build a middle-class life, put our parents in college, and now we have like the largest growth in the white-collar generation, among certain class of people, of course, but just statistically, more white-collar people. And then those people realize that like their work isn't really very meaningful. In fact, mm-hmm. in some cases, it's kind of annoying, mm-hmm. right? Because it was a transition period from, like, a purely industrial model mm-hmm. to, like, a service-based model. But we still kept treating the accountants, really hate, you know, hitting on accountants hard in this conversation. But, like, we kept treating the accountants like they were factory workers. Mm-hmm. Be here at this time, lunch for 20 minutes, back to work. Mm-hmm. When the whistle blows, you can go home. Like, it's the same mm-hmm. thing. But that didn't really make any sense. But at the time, we didn't know any better. And technology didn't make it so that, like, you could work from home and stuff that we do now. Right. So our parents, like, hate their jobs. They're, like, they're a grind and they're unpleasant. But they're still making decent money. And so they have us. And they tell us. What do they tell us, T? They tell us, find something you're passionate about. Right. Yeah. You'll never work a day in your life. Right. Because they knew a handful of people from their own generation who did things that they really loved. And they thought, wow. What if that was my life, where I got paid good money, and I loved what I did? We're going to infuse that into our children, right? <clears throat> so here we go. Now we got our generation. We'll go off to college at even larger numbers than our parents' generation. And we're told, find something you love. But of course, the cost of school has exploded. The job market has become more competitive. And I love writing, so I go and I study English. And at some point, I remember this, like, my dad even being like, what are you going to do with that? (laughs) And a lot of people would ask that, like, what are you going to do with that English degree? And I thought, 
I didn't I didn't have the words or the, mm-hmm. the perspective to vocalize it at the time. But now when I look back on it, I think, yeah, but you guys told me to do something I like. Right. And then when I told you <laughs> when I told you what I like, you went, well, that's never going to work. You can't get a job doing that. And the problem is nobody had the wherewithal the time to recognize that that what you were telling me was an incredibly mixed message. Right. Should I go to school to get a job or should I go to school to do something I love? Right. And everyone, if you ask them straight up, would be like, oh, well, you should do both. Right. Fuck. Do both. Please. How many of those jobs exist? Right. Right. And we're so diverse as humans that, like, if I love right, well, you can get a job being a speechwriter for a politician. I mean, yeah, okay, sure. A lot of people looking for that job, right? How do you even get that job if you didn't go to Georgetown? Right. You know what I mean? So our generation goes through college. We get huge fuck tons of debt for a lot of people. Graduate into a crap job market in the early to late aughts. And now we're sitting here going, like, fuck, what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Right? And so now, and a lot of people, they really did that. They did the whole passion thing. And then I watched them take a job at a nonprofit working to, like, save immigrant children or something. Sure. Which is awesome, right? Yeah. I'm so glad you're doing that because, like, it's fucked up how we treat immigrants mm-hmm. and refugees in this country. But also you're getting paid $20,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And you're living with three people in an apartment in Washington, D.C. And you're 35, and you don't even think you can afford to get married, much less, like, buy a house and have a kid. Right. And all the while, there's this social pressure that if you decide that, like, you don't want to help refugees anymore because you're tired of getting paid shit, that you're, like, a sellout. And that, you know, if you find what you love, the money will come. Like, all these cute little phrases. And what I've realized now, at 36, is that that phrase, find your passion and never work a day in your life, or find your passion and the money will come, I don't know. I don't think anyone did this intentionally, but the phrase is capitalism exploiting us more. Uh huh. Right. Like a so development like, of it. Yeah, yeah. So like, absorb your crappy wages because for the children or for the immigrants, and so you like nourish a portion of your soul with the positivity of the work that you do as compensation for the crap that you can't, the fact that you can't pay your rent, right? Right. All the while. Jeff Bezos builds a yacht he can't get out of a fucking harbor in the Netherlands. Right. right? I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like, the number of billionaires in America has grown exponentially. Globally, it's grown. And then that's justified by, well, you got to do what you got to do to make money. Of course, yeah. Yeah. You know. Jeff's a job creator, T. He invented this amazing thing called Amazon. Isn't he do all that his hard work represents? As if one fucking person created Amazon. Right. Please. Right. Do you know he made a, I think I told you this a couple weeks ago, he made an early investment in Google, Jeff Bezos did. Oh, yeah. So, like, you did tell me about that. Even, I can't remember the numbers now, I wish I could, but, like, even if he had never made a dime from Amazon, like, if Amazon was a complete flop, he would have made some something, I mean, nothing compared to what he has now, but it's something like $600 million yeah. from his $150,000 investment, uh, investment in Google. In Google. <laughs> course yeah oh, man so yeah it frustrates me to like to look at a system that is really advantaged um so okay neither of us are poor right mm-hmm. we have houses we can take vacations we have a business we started like i'm not destitute i've never been destitute i 
grew up in an upper middle class family. So like, you know, I don't want to like pain compare with people and say like, oh, my life is so difficult. Cause like, okay, objectively it's not right. Globally it's not, but it, it frustrates me when like on some level, a sort of modern middle-class life has no aspiration for people our age. Meaning like you can't really imagine getting out of it, growing past it, expanding into more because you look at the system arrayed in front of you and all it does seemingly is trap you here. Right. And get you to a certain level of comfort where you can't actually not have that job or you can't actually go open a bakery or you can't actually go teach English in, in Vietnam because in order to maintain the smallest version of a comfortable life in America, you got to keep slaving it out nine to five. Right. Work your ass off with no real hope of advancement unless you're in a very particular sliver of the economy. Right. That's really frustrating. Yeah. Really frustrating. It's like the benefits of your life have, have trapped you in it in right. some weird way. Does that make sense? It's like, it's not like you got trapped here because you were enslaved or something. In fact, quite the opposite. It's like you got tricked yeah. into, you know, liking to buy expensive apples from Whole Foods. Yeah. So you got to keep slugging it out at wherever so you can keep buying those apples. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I think about this stuff a lot with... Um, uh, there's an episode of uh, Real Time, like a couple months ago, Bill Maher's show. And they were talking about student loan debt and mm. stuff like that. Did I talk to you about this before? I, think so. uh, I don't know if we've talked about this yet. But, you know, there were like three or four people on the panel. And they're all people that are not of our generation. No, no one close, right? Um, like, earliest age would likely be 50, you know, 50 and over. And they were talking about um, how there's all of these graduate school programs that people are going to school for and everyone on the panel was in like agreement about how ridiculous it would be to try to set up a situation to help people pay for those programs they all agreed they're all like i don't want to pay for somebody's phd in philosophy how is that contributing to our economy was like their argument yeah, yeah. and and one of them had had an advanced degree in, I think it was an MBA or something like that. And she was like, do you have an advanced degree? Yeah, I have an advanced degree, but I took out a second job to pay for my degree. Oh, fuck you. And yeah, and th th this, is where, this is where it was going. It was, like, it was like, I knew exactly how much it was going to cost and I paid for it with my own money. And I sat there and I was like, none of you fuckers understand the the messaging the like the like all of the stuff that we got told at every step of the way through school about this is what you do if you don't go to college you're not going to be able to get a job it, you know if you oh the more college you go to the better your life will be the, the entire time we were in school student loan debt is good debt student loan debt is good I literally debt had a person tell me that yeah it's good debt it's not it's not bad yeah it doesn't hurt your credit it's and, okay and then like there and then there's this other stuff where like you go and you know you're supposed to be educated when you take out a student loan they have you take all of these tests yeah, yeah. to make sure you understand yeah. Yeah. quote unquote how long it's going to take you to pay it off and all these things and the truth is there's no way 
you can communicate that to that person at that time? Nope. Absolutely none. Nope. Even if you say, you sign your name on this paper, you will be a slave. Even if you said those words, which are not said, right? And I'm not, I'm not saying we're slaves, but I'm saying if that dramatic language was used, people would still sign the line. Of course they would. Because everything else that has been told to you at that point in time is that this is the right path. And I don't think that's, I think that's shifting right now. Like I do too. Time, yeah. 2020, like the pandemic shifted a lot of perspectives on stuff when people were already grumbling in the background, like cost of school and standardized tests and whatever. So I'm really hopeful that the next five or 10 years of, of high school grads might, might make different choices. But just like all the other things we talked about, the system is not in favor of that. Right. Because like you have to have a bachelor's degree to be somebody's secretary. Right. And that's fucking stupid. Right. Like, yeah. are you kidding? Right. Like, how many jobs do you think, I mean, I'm a pretty smart person. You're a pretty smart person. Do you actually need to go to college to be a lot of the things that we demand people go to a four-year university for? Oh, absolutely And not. I don't mean to shit on those things and say they're not hard. I'm just saying, like, you could teach me how to be an accountant. Yeah. In a year. Yeah. Of on-the-job training. Uh-huh. 100%. Yeah. No doubt about it. Uh-huh. You could teach me to run this factory with a year of on-the-job training. Yeah. It's just that fucking simple. Yeah. Now, maybe some of the design people, people actually doing the math, actually doing the load-bearing calculations, those people probably need some pre-training sure. so that they understand the sure. math and shit. But honestly, I'll be still do that in two years. Yeah. Let's put you in a two-year engineering program mm-hmm. that we're not going to shit on because it's at the community college but it's exactly all the engineering stuff you need to know no fluff no bullshit the irony of this is for me is that when i was an undergrad my friend brian basically made the same argument that four-year university was stupid because everything that he needed to know for his business degree he could have learned in a year and there's really no reason for him to take all these other classes right because what right. the fuck were those for? Not going to help with his job. And I, being a liberal arts major, <clears throat> and generally in favor of, you know, knowing stuff, mm-hmm. made a huge argument in favor of diverse education. Poetry classes, women and gender studies, horticulture, chicken science, whatever the fuck. Like, here's your core stuff, mm-hmm. and then a third of everything you have to do to graduate has nothing to do with engineering. Right. Nothing to do with English, if, you know, it's the opposite, whatever, right? In, in theory and in philosophy, I would still defend that point endlessly today. Like, if I could wave a magic wand, every chemical engineer would also have read Lord Byron poetry. Right. Every single one. Oh, yeah. Every plumber would know what the Tao Te Ching was, and every Chinese medicine practitioner would understand the basics of accounting. Right. We would all have a rich and diverse background. Right. But you can't fucking do that because America never invested in education. Right. And so now we're at this crisis point where those of us who embrace this notion handed to us by our parents, again, not with malice, realize it's too fucking expensive. Right. You can't do it. That's the problem. That's it's the problem. It's too expensive. It's not, it's not the concept. Right. It's the cost. Yeah. So if we can't fix the cost problem, which seemingly no one is interested in fixing, I just don't understand why. Right. Then you got it. Then the only thing you can do is is change the programs, right? Like so, if you want to be an engineer, you don't go to four year school anymore. 
no more engineering programs. Or if you're at a four-year university, your engineering program is now, it's a separate college. You know, Louisiana State University College of Engineering is a two-year program. And there's no gen ed bullshit. Right. You just do engineering in and out as quick as possible, as cheap as possible, and then put you into the work field. So I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I hope it's going to change. I see, I see the grumblings, but there's just so much in the way of it all, you know? And those assholes on fucking Bill Maher. Oh, my God. Yeah. I got a second job. I don't want to ah. pay. I don't, I'm not going to pay for that education. Gosh, What you are know? you going to pay for, you motherfucker? Yeah, right. Only more MBAs? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, MBAs. What a good use of <laughs> Let's go to school so you can tell me a bunch of shit about SWOT analysis that I can read in goddamn Wikipedia. I mean, oh come on. Oh, my God. You know what's annoying to me about that, too, is, especially for an MBA... Like, you can just sit down. Like, I don't know when that woman was in school, but let's assume it was, like, in the 80s. Right. Right. So the cost of school was not as expensive. If you just do the math, like, what was minimum wage in the 80s? What, how much money, like, what was average rent in the city you were in? Average cost of living? Like, all of this, all of this exists. It's just data, right? And you crunch all the numbers out. There's this amazing, I think it was New York Times Magazine piece. This was a while ago now, like five years maybe. It was a digital piece and they had like a bunch of throwbacks to like early game computing when you scrolled through the article. It was really very mm-hmm. dynamic, very interesting. But they were talking about this idea that people, and this is just a human function, I guess, but you take your individual experience and you substitute that anecdote as the experience of everyone throughout time forever. Because in 1984, you could do exactly what she said. Right, You could get exactly. a second job, yeah. work at part-time, yep. at minimum wage, yep. and pay for your rent yeah. and your food. Yeah. And, yeah, sure, you weren't buying steak or whatever. What do they complain? Avocado toast. Right, right. No avocado toast for you. Right. No Starbucks. Right. But you ate regular food and paid for rent and gas in your car and your goddamn tuition. Right. With your 25 hours a week. At minimum wage yeah. at the Chips Ahoy ice cream parlor sure, yeah. in a shit-ass town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, well, I did it. Yeah. And I mean, it wasn't fun. Right. We weren't out all I the time. I suffered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we couldn't afford movie tickets. Right, sure. Yeah, okay. Just do that math now. Yeah. Just do it. How much would you have to work now Yes. to be able to go to grad school yes. and do something that you could apply? Like, you, yeah. could, you can get a Chinese medicine degree... Like do and what pay we for do it yourself. and pay for it yourself. Fuck no. There's no fucking Not way. Not unless you have a professional job. Right. That you can, like if, if you're a software engineer. Oh yeah. And you can work remotely. Right. Yes. At night. Yeah. If you're an oil tycoon. Yeah, you know? of course. But like you can't go work at the coffee shop. No. Or even like construction no. or something. Because like the program's full time. Yep. It's in person. Yep. So, you know, of the 12 hours that you're awake in a day, eight of those will be physically at school. Yep. So then you're going to take the other, make, now you're going to have a 16 hour day. You're going to take your eight out, your second eight hours and go work at the coffee shop where even in Portland at the time that we were in school, you'd, you'd make like $12 an hour, right? which is way more than minimum wage. But the average rent for a one bedroom in Portland is $1,500 a month. Right. Right? Yeah. So you got $1,500 a month. <clears throat> Hold on. Let's do the math. Let's do it right now. <laughs> okay. So you're going to somehow manage to go to school full time. And let's let's be the most wild. You're gonna work full time too, mm-hmm. as a barista. So you're gonna get forty hours a week, at twelve dollars an hour. 
is four hundred and eighty dollars. Right. In the course of your month, is nineteen hundred and twenty dollars. Right. Before taxes. Before taxes. Before taxes. Yeah. Okay. So if we assume that you lost twenty five percent of that, right? Which maybe it's a little less than that because you're poor. So actually, maybe you'll get your taxes back. So sure. you know what? You didn't pay taxes. Right. You just you got somehow you paid no taxes at any point. You have a full nineteen hundred and twenty dollars. You paid. And you know what? You're not living in a one bedroom because you know, you're not splurging like a crazy sure. person. Right. You're going to live in a house with four other housemates. Right. Just like I did. Yep. <laughs> and the share of your rent and electricity comes down to what, like seven hundred. Seven hundred. Seven hundred okay. a month. Yeah. So you're going to live with five other people in a house. Uh huh. And then seven hundred of your dollars is going to go to your expenses, which honestly, your deal in Portland was incredibly cheap. Right. So, oh yeah, I had the cheapest rent of anybody I knew. Rent. Yeah, that's wild. So yeah. even still, let's just go with that. Right. So now you have $1,220 left in cash. Let's assume that you're going to eat ramen and rice and never go out at all. So you're only going to spend $100 a week on food. Right. right? Over everything that you're going to eat right. and drink. So now you're less 400 Now you got $820 left <clears throat> for the month. You... I guess, let's see, you're not going to have a car, so you got no right. car note. No car. You got no gas to put in that car, mm-hmm. right? Because if you had a car note and gas, now you'd lose another half of this, but, you know, whatever. You're you're going to bike. You're, you're in bike. Portland. You're going to suffer yeah. on the bus like a plebe. Yeah. So now you've got $820. We've done rent, and we've done food. Uh-huh. Let's assume that you, you there's no way you could just live that way for four years. So let's say you spend another $200 a month on all entertainment transportation subscriptions transportation everything yeah. right so now you have $620 left and to go to Ocom right now for the DACM it's like $108,000 over 4 years right which is $2,250 a month in tuition right so 2250 a month in tuition so yeah. So you, you need to were, quadruple the amount you were making, yeah, basically. Yeah, so you worked right. full-time, you went to school full-time, you lived like you were in, in a shanty town. In a shanty somewhere. town with doing nothing. Yeah. And still, because the school cost was 2250 per month, and you only had 620 left, you're still going to have to take out a loan yep. for $1,630 a month at the absolute minimum. For 12 months for four years gives you a loan of $78,240, and you were fucking miserable yes. the whole time. The whole time. And maybe you were even able to pass the program <clears throat> because you were so stressed out and had so little time and had, like, physical health problems right. and all kind of bullshit. And you still have an $80,000 loan. Yes. Fuck you, lady on Bill Maher. Yeah. Seriously. Well, I just, I worked really hard. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. okay. You know, when I um, when I was thinking about going to Chinese medicine school at first, I reached out to one of my mentors from undergrad, mm-hmm. and he had talked. He he had a friend that had gone to the Chinese medicine school I was looking at in Los Angeles, and asked him about the experience for me. Yeah. And his reply was, "I had a great experience in school. I love the medicine." but I would never recommend it to anybody today. It's too expensive. When I went there, you could pay for tuition with a simple like part-time job 
and be perfectly content. I was perfectly content riding my bike to school and eating rice and beans and working part-time and completing school. He's like, I wouldn't recommend it now. And I was just like, like at the time I was like, damn, I didn't expect that, you know? Of course it wasn't enough to deter me because I wasn't, uh, you know, in that, in that headspace. But well, and like you said, you, to be honest, you can't know. You can't know. <clears throat> the numbers are just ideas. Yeah, they're just ideas. Especially if you're young. Like I was a little older than you when I went to school and I had worked like in a professional white collar job before that. But like, even still, I was 28, 28, yeah, when I decided to come to Chinese medicine school. Right. <clears throat> I had worked like two professional jobs. One right out of college, managing the kitchen at Bistro Byron's, and then six years as a high school teacher. And even still, like the idea of like what the loan would be like, right. like the burden of paying yeah. it, yeah, I couldn't know. Yeah, and I, maybe some people listening to this will be like, "How could you not know?" Just do the that, math. That's exactly what they'll say. Yeah, <clears throat> just do the math. Come but, on. But that's like that's like that. You know, enough numbers. Like even if you're looking at the numbers, it becomes statistics. Right, you know, like it loses all sense of context because you can't. And nobody has the. You can't ex- place it. The experience quality, like right. the situation I just described with the math there, yeah. like that is a miserable life. Oh yeah, and terrible. Not, not like oh, it's miserable because you know Travis can't buy Starbucks. Like no, it's miserable because you're constantly looking at your bank account, which never has enough money in it. You can never fly back home to see your family. You can never take a trip anywhere. Right. You can't go out of town. Right. You can't even buy. Like, people who got their degrees in the 80s like to shit on millennials for stuff like Starbucks and avocado toast. Right. Right. In fact, even when I was in that um, business networking group, there was that woman who was like, if people just stop buying Starbucks and put it in an investment account because of compound interest, by the time they retired, they'd have millions of dollars. Right. I'm just like, okay, you're fucking missing the point. Yeah. Right? Like, buying Starbucks is a way of, I mean, I don't even buy Starbucks, but people who buy Starbucks it's a way of feeling like a human being right who's like living and going and growing and like yes I can buy this Starbucks and assholes with an entirely different life experience will be like well that's why you don't have any money you gotta suck it up and then you'll have some money except that you won't and that's the thing because yeah did in Jeff situ- Bezos have to <clears throat> suck it up to get his to get his money how he much prob- did he, he probably have to had suck to eat it ramen up? for yeah. a while yeah he probably did yeah, worked but, out great for him. But the thing is, is that, like, if you live the life we just did the math for, you will not feel like a human being. You will have scrimped and scrounged, and you will still be in the hole. That's mm-hmm. my thing. Like, if you could show me a mathematical circumstance where living <clears throat> like a, just a, an absolute pauper, <clears throat> excuse me, would actually result in you not having a loan and getting your degree scot-free, then that's something we could talk about. Right. But that math's not real. Right. Basically nowhere. Right. So. Yep. All right. Time to do it.